Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. Well, it's one of our last podcasts of 2022. Not our last one because I'll have a couple of uh, podcasts this weekend for Union Hockey as they get set to play New Hampshire in a pair of games. But for non-hockey podcasts, this is the final one. And we're going to look back at the year 2022 in the Capital Region sports scene. Uh, I'm going to be joined by by, uh, my Gazette colleagues uh, in this podcast. They're going to review specific um, items to their beats. And, of course, I'll talk about Union College Hockey a little bit later on. But uh, it's going to be a fun podcast. I hope you enjoy what uh, we have to say. Let's begin our uh, year review with uh, Mike McAdam, and we'll talk some horse racing here. Mike, uh, welcome back to the podcast. And uh, let's start with the uh, Triple Crown Series. Uh, how would you rate the Triple Crown in 2022? Well, it didn't lack for uh, interesting angles, starting with the uh, Kentucky Derby in May when Rich Strike at 80-1 to 1 snuck up the rail and stole the Derby from uh, Epicenter and Zandon, who were kind of duking it out down the stretch. Um, it was a great story. You know, the Derby is the one race that um, crosses over into mainstream people who don't really care about horse racing, which there's a lot of them. Um, they do pay attention to the Derby uh, for the most part. And this one had that extra flair of not only a, a long shot winning it, but a massive, massive long shot winning it at 80 to 1. Um, Rich Strike was you know, came from humble beginnings and was running in, you know, the lower level tracks out in the Midwest and was not highly regarded by the betters, obviously, because he went off at, I think he was the longest shot to ever win the Derby in a hundred and whatever runnings of it, um, being good horses along the way. Um, so that kind of kicked, kicked things off, set the tone a little bit. Um, interesting twist out of that was that he, they, his connections chose to skip the Belmont because, I don't think they, they were really expecting, or they skipped, skipped the Preakness. Good call um, pointing that out. We we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. They, they chose to skip the Preakness, which wasn't a popular move with a lot of the fans because obviously they want to see a horse attempt the Triple Crown, but their plan all along would, was going to be to skip the Preakness anyway, and they stuck to their guns, which people also other people gave them a lot of credit for, for not running the horse when you know off schedule. Um, so that opened the door for Epicenter to have another second-place heartbreaker. This time, the Chad Brown uh, trained early voting by a length and a quarter, and, and um, Epicenter got the worst of it in the duel in the Derby and then had a bad trip in the Preakness, so he kind of had excuse. He, he figured out two different ways to lose the first two legs of the Triple Crown, <laughs> which loaded him for bear later, and we will get to that. But in the meantime... Um, the great interesting twist of the Belmont Stakes, which I was fortunate to attend, um, as I did the Preakness, um, uh, was the Philly Nest, um, entering the race, uh, echoes to rags to riches who won it, uh, first Philly to win it in over a hundred years, uh, back a few years ago for trainer Todd Pletcher. And obviously he's made this move before and Nest was, um, not only training lights out and racing very well, but the mile and a half was right in her wheelhouse. So he put her in there with no reservations. In fact, that was the plan. And she ran great and was three lengths uh, behind uh, Mo Donegal in uh, second place. So she ran a very, very credible race, which, uh, you know, again, will set the tone for things later on. Um, so the Triple Crown had some interesting twists each time. 
you know, 80 to 1 winning the Derby, 80 to 1 skipping the Preakness, and uh, then the Philly nearly winning the Belmont. So there's kind of a little different angle to each one, which made the Triple Crown Series uh, kind of intriguing. Let's move on to uh, the Saratoga season and, of course, you know, another successful one. And What was the highlight of that, do you think? Uh, and I go back to Nest, my personal favorite, just because, um, you know, off the Belmont, she swept the uh, coaching club American Oaks and the Alabama very impressively to pretty much clinch the uh, three-year-old Philly division Eclipse Award that at the Saratoga meet, no matter what she did the rest of the season. And she beat Secret Oath both times. At Saratoga, Secret Oath had been Dwayne Lucas's um, really, really highly regarded uh, filly who had won the Kentucky Oaks uh, the day before the Derby and at the time was the leader of the division. And Ness pretty much uh, crushed her uh, in the two big races for that division at Saratoga. So that, that was kind of my personal favorite. Um, and then the other one also came from the Todd Pletcher barn was Life is Good, sweeping the Whitney and the Woodward Um you know, interesting horse who last year had been on the Triple Crown Trail and before he got hurt and was out for like six months. And in the meantime, he got transferred to Pletcher's Barn because of all of Bob Baffert's uh, legal troubles and, well, not legal troubles, but, um, you know, uh, suspension trouble from tracks. And, uh, um, you know, really established himself as the East Coast uh, monster among the older male division by, by sweeping the Whitney and the Woodward. Um, uh, you had Chad, trainer Chad Brown won the Diana for the gazillionth time with his longest shot of four that he had in the Diana, uh, in Italian, um, to kind of kick things off at the beginning of the meet. And then the one thing that was kind of a, was great and then turned into a little bit of a downer was Jackie's warrior, um, champion sprinter last year as a three-year-old. Um, became the first horse in the history of Saratoga to win a grade one race three years in a row, uh, which he managed by winning the hopeful in 2020, 2020 as a two-year-old, came back and won the Allen Jerkins in 2021, and then won the A.G. Vanderbilt uh, in 22 this year, um, but then had hit this beautiful streak broken by Cody's wish uh, when he finished second in the forego toward the, you know, on uh, Travers Day. Um, Travers weekend, Travers day. And, um, so that was kind of, that was kind of two sides of the coin for Jackie's warrior. Um, and, uh, other than that, from a horse standpoint, those are the ones that stand out. I really love the way, uh, Nest ran at, uh, Saratoga. Um, I neglected to mention the older Philly div- female division, which is Malathot and, um, Clarier, uh, kind of swapped places during the meet at the two big races for that division. Uh, Clarier got the better of um, of Malathot in the Chuvie, I believe it was, early in the meet. And um, and Pletcher said afterwards that he saw as soon as she walked into the paddock that she wasn't looking her usual self. And, and it was kind of a reversal of fortunes in the personal ensign on uh, Travers Day when uh, Clarier came back and, and uh, had a bad day, like had a bad start out of the gate unusually for her um and and actually got a cut on her tongue banged into the gate so she she got beat but mal thought kind of reestablished herself uh, so that was that was the other um kind of cool thing to watch at saratoga yeah and you got a chance to cover the breeders cup uh, or, uh, uh before we get yeah, to that yeah, why don't we yeah. talk about the numbers yes, um, uh, from the saratoga meet just briefly um 
They crushed the record for total all sources handled with $878 million. The previous record was 815 mil uh, the year before, which, you know, it's only a matter of time before they hit a billion dollars yeah. in, in all sources handled at this meet. And for the seventh year in a row, not counting 2020 when there were no fans, um, they topped a million in total paid admission at the meet. So with which, which, um, Came out to an average of twenty six thousand eight hundred ninety per day, uh, bolstered a little bit by over forty nine thousand on Travers Day. So Naira was happy with all those numbers. Yeah, I get it. Doesn't it keeps going up and up and up. That's keeps a, going up. The yeah. brand is just really, really strong, and it's not just people who go to the track, which is one of the rare tracks in North America where people actually attend the races. <laughs> on, <laughs> boots on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all over the country. The brand is so strong that people are just betting this meat with both fists, yep. no matter where they are. Well, you had a chance to cover the uh, Breeders' Cup down at Keeneland. Uh, and what was your takeaway from that? Um, flight line, flight line, flight line is the no-brainer. And I say it three times because that's how many times he ran all <laughs> of 2022, which which is, you know, kind of the downside of racing. I'll, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll cover some highlights of Keeneland. For me personally, it's the first time I've ever been to the track in Lexington, Kentucky. And it's um, lived up to every expectation I had for it and some. I just remember walking in there for the first time on uh, Thursday um, and looking around and saying, this place is really, really nice, which it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. <laughs> but the, at a secondary level, it's nice all the time. You can tell it's nice like on a Wednesday in the middle of, you know, whenever. Yeah. And not they didn't just gussy it up for a Breeders' Cup. Um, this play, it's just such a old school. They care about racing. I mean, you can kind of chuckle at them a little bit because all the like main workers there, like the people that are helping customers and stuff, are all wearing green jackets like at the Masters. So there were some Bushwood Country Club <laughs> jokes that you can make. I mean, it is a real blue blood kind of place. It's surrounded by just unending um, acres of breeding farm land, wherever you, except for the little Lexington airport that you can actually see from the press box uh, adjacent to the track. Everything else is just white fences and green grass because this is the heart of uh, breeding in, in uh, North America. So that's a big component of it as well. Um, if you do ever go there, of course, you have to shell out the eight bucks for the uh, um, bourbon sauce uh, <laughs> bread pudding, which is outstanding. And, and I wouldn't even call it overpriced. It's a little on the bready side, but um, that's kind of their signature food thing. You can, there's no other track in the world where you're going to get that. And, and uh, um, as I said in the press box, as I was kind of wolfing it down, I said, this bread pudding is changing my life right now. So you got to do that if you ever go to Well, Kentucky. I guess no, no mint juleps do it like they do at the Kentucky Derby. Well, I, hey, I've, I've had a mint julep, and there's two things about those. One, I don't even really like them. And two, they're painful to watch the bartender make because they're very, very labor-intensive. you got to get a mortar and pestle and grind all this mint leaves and all this stuff. So I, I can live without the mint juleps. But anyway, from a racing standpoint, I mentioned Flightline already uh, before we get back to him <clears throat> in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, another dud for Jackie's Warrior in the Breeders' Cup Sprint, which probably is going to cost him the, the Eclipse Award after the phenomenal season he was putting together before he got beat at Saratoga. Um, Cody's Wish, who beat him in the Forgo, was in the the, uh, the dirt mile and won that, giving a nice double for um Trainer Bill Mott, who who also won the sprint with uh, Elite Power, beating Jackie's Warrior in the process. Cody's Wish was kind of this feel good story, the meat of the Breeders' Cup, because 
the horse is named after a young man who has this like very very rare disease that is very debilitating and and he through the make-a-wish foundation he met the horse when the horse was like three feet tall like a little foal and 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 then has kind of followed him and that that story was really cool to see and the, the, the young man was there in, in the winter circle and the whole bit so that that was really cool um flight line i have to say um one of the most impressive performances you're going to see because he broke the breeders cup record for margin of victory <coughs> excuse me in in the classic it was eight and a quarter lengths whatever it was um mentioned life is good all already flight line was the the monster on the west coast life is good was the monster on the east coast and this was sort of like godzilla against king kong except <coughs> excuse me again um this time, life is good. Rant did what he had to do. He got out front because that's how he runs. Um, ran a phenomenal race. Wound up kind of fading back to fifth. Flight line just was too good, too good for everybody. Um, and then they promptly retire him, which is the downside of it because the horse only raced six times in his whole career. He's only four. And the nature of the business, it's fitting that in the, the breeding capital of the world that this horse was retired with just three races um, as a four-year-old, winning by a combined three, 33 and a half lengths in those three races. And it's a shame for the sport that we don't get to see this horse ever run again and only got to see him six times. Anyway, I was fortunate to see him twice out of his three races this year because he destroyed the Met Mile on Belmont Stakes Day, you know. Um, but other than other than that, he just he he won the Met Mile in June, wins the Pacific Classic in September or August, whenever it was, and then wins the um, Breeders' Cup Classic. And all, all you're thinking is, man, look, can they please run him again as a five-year-old so we can see him keep doing this kind of performance and and be one for the ages? But the nature of the beast in this sport is, you know, that people talk a lot about drugs, and they should as hurting the image of the sport, but really, really hurts it a lot is just when we have a good one that we can kind of attach ourselves to, they retire them to stud because the cart is before the horse in racing in a lot of aspects where the breeding kind of takes precedence over racing. Mm -hmm. So that, that was kind of like, I don't know if it's a sour note because it was just amazing to see like one of the greatest performances. I've been doing this for, you know, over 35 years. Um, but it's bittersweet because we'll never see him yeah. run again. <laughs> well, Mike, appreciate it. Of course, uh, once Saratoga starts up in 2023 in mid-July, we'll be back having you on every week. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Maybe there will be a couple interesting things before that. Of course, um, I'm going to certainly weasel my way into a trip to the Preakness <laughs> and, and uh, the Belmont. Won't, I won't be as, as uh, have to require as much of a weaseling move to get down to that one, but we'll, we'll have a couple things to look at before Saratoga. Adam Schinder joins me next to talk college football and high school football. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. What does the 50th anniversary of Title IX mean? It means I'm valued. I'm empowered. I can do anything. It means I'll pave the way for every girl who plays high school sports in the future. Just like every female student, coach, official, and administrator blaze the trail for me. Because every student deserves the opportunity to play. Encourage girls you know to participate in New York high school sports. This message presented by NISFA and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. 
Hi, this is Union College men's hockey head coach Josh Hoji. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. And Adam Schinder is here, and uh, I want to talk some college football from 2022. And uh, Adam, the news that uh, broke last week uh, was the announcement that uh, uh, Union uh, head coach Jeff Behrman stepped down to go to his alma mater, uh, John Carroll University in Ohio. So, I mean, in a way, what? Not that shocking. Uh, it's a, you know one of those things where uh, you know Jeff in the in the release basically said this was his dream job. Can can you can never be surprised when a guy you know goes back home like that uh, puts Union in a position where they're going to be looking for a new coach, but they're in a much better position looking for a new coach this time than they were seven years ago when they were looking for a coach uh, the when when Jeff Behrman was hired. I mean, looking back at uh, Behrman's time at Union, how important was his hire? to get the program back on track. Oh, this was, it's going to go down as one of the better hires that Union made in a very, very long time, especially for that program. You know, John Audino was a guy who was there forever and it had a lot of success, especially early on in, in his tenure. Uh, but the program had really, really struggled over the last five to ten years of his of his tenure. Uh, Jeff Behrman came in, uh, inherited a team that had gone 0-10 the year before. Uh, within five years, he had a team that had an undefeated regular season. Took him to the playoffs. Uh, you know, obviously missed the 2020 season due to COVID. And then each of the last two years, uh, Union started really well. And then just kind of uh, based on a kind of unfair, not unfair, yeah. but really unbalanced Liberty League schedule. They've had all of their tough games right at the back end of, uh, of the year. Of course, uh, last year they lose uh, the Dutchman Shoes game on a last second field goal to a soccer player uh, yeah. in, the, in the pouring rain. Uh, this year, three-game losing streak. But... Uh, really engineered one of the better offenses in the entire country uh, and really built a solid talent base that this program's got going forward. Well, let's talk one quickly about the other the college football team that you cover, UAlbany. Not much to say about them? Yeah, I mean, UAlbany this year was the... Uh, for the last few years, they very much invented new ways to lose close games. Uh, I believe they lost three or four games uh, by straight remember on the last play of either regulation or overtime this year. Uh, there were some strides moving forward. Uh, Reese Poffenbarger, uh, the transfer quarterback they brought in from Old Dominion, uh, was as good a uh, first-year quarterback as there was in the entire country. Uh, CAA Offensive Rookie of the Year, pretty much no doubt. Uh, to the point that uh, pretty much everybody else in that quarterback room with any experience, so Joey Carino and Tyler Salkowski, their other two, their two, they're sort of one and one a backups, uh, have both entered the transfer portal. Uh, they had an all American second team All American tight end in Thomas Greeny, who there's a good chance uh, that he gets drafted at uh, some point in the later rounds uh, by the NFL. And uh, we could see a former U Albany player drafted as high as the first round uh, with Jared Verse, who transferred to Florida State last year, who was as good a defensive end as there was uh, when he was healthy this yeah. year. Let's uh, turn our attention to high school football. And I think the big story in Section 2 this year was the emergence of Nisguna you know, winning their first Section 2 title. And this uh, really it's a team that has really come from the depths of uh, despair. Yeah, this was a team that a few years ago uh, was play, was a double-A size school based on the numbers uh, and had moved down to play in Class A as a non-playoff team, which is a sign that your program is really struggling. We've seen it uh, in recent years. Uh, Cohoes did it. Uh, they dropped all the way from Class B down to Class D uh, with how non-competitive they've gotten. Albany uh, is still doing it as they try to build their program. 
Miskiuna, the beds numbers and and their uh, their size as a school has kind of balanced out to where they are legitimately a, a larger class A school now. Uh, Brian Grassdorf has come in as the head coach of that program, really led them in this year. Uh, kind of a perfect storm, you know. They started uh, one and two. They had a couple of rough performances early with a, a young team on offense. Uh, but they really, really grew as the season went on and played a phenomenal, phenomenal stretch run, uh, and and you know won their won their first section two title. And really, the only thing that stops them is they run into a really, really tough uh, Somers team down in the state semifinals, uh, which kind of happened to pretty much all of our section two yeah. teams this year. Uh, five teams got to the state semifinals. Only one of them, uh, which was Cambridge Salem, got to the dome for a state final. Uh, they end up losing to. Tioga, if memory serves me correctly. But Niskiuna really made the run of what was a weird Class A this year. Some teams that, you know, you'd normally expect to be much more up were not. You know, Burr Hills still made the playoffs, but, uh, you know, didn't have the kind of season that you would expect from that team. And obviously it ended up being the final year uh, as head coach for a really, really big time figure in, in football around here, Matt Shell who took a Burnt Hills program that had very little history behind it, especially recent history, and turned it into the preeminent football program in the section over the last 20 years. Did his uh, stepping down catch you by surprise? Uh, it did in the sense that it just kind of came out in the classic. He just announced it at a, at a team banquet. Uh, whenever someone's been coaching 20 years, uh, you can never be totally surprised. You know, the lifespan of a football coach, especially in today's day and age, is not that long. It's an incredibly stressful job. He's a guy who's been a lot through a lot uh, – with his own health, with his family's health. He's obviously a cancer survivor. His son's a cancer survivor. He's got kids in college now. Uh, and he might have just felt, you know, it was it was time uh, to pass that to pass that on to, to someone else inside the program. And of course, then AA CBA dominated uh, the season, winning the Section 2 title there. Yeah, CBA, a really, really terrific program that uh, Bobby Burns has built. Uh, the guy, all he does is win championships. He did it at Troy. Now he's played. Now he's coached two seasons in CBA. He's won two AA uh, Section Two titles. He's going to have another really good chance at a third one in 2023 because uh, his quarterback Donald Jones, who is uh, very, very much the best player uh, in Section Two, an incredible dual threat uh, quarterback uh, who may not be a quarterback when he goes to the next level. It's a guy who's about five eight, five nine, 160 pounds, uh, but he's either a, he's probably either a you know a slot receiver, running back, or uh, a defensive back at the next level, but he is a next level football player. That's the kind of athlete he is. So. Uh, any th- thoughts before we uh, wrap it up? Your seg- segment up? Oh, no, just a, a wild, wild year. You know, we we had a lot of teams around the area that kind of had their best seasons of all time. Uh, you had to congratulate, you know, the Shenandoah pulling off the volleyball double uh, with the boys and girls. We had some terrific soccer teams, but uh, this was a, you know, some great basketball seasons. Uh, one of the Shalmont girls basketball, uh, who pulled off a great, great run, best run in the history of their program to win a state title. Uh, Dwaynesburg got all the way to states, uh, but just a fun year and you know interesting to see what we go through uh, into twenty twenty three. Especially you know putting some focus on college basketball now and you know got a Siena team that looks like they're they're capable of making a run in the MAC and you Albany team that is going to hope to improve once they get into the America East. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all you do, and uh, yeah, thank you again for doing the high school football stuff during the season. We'll do that again in 2023. Absolutely. That's Adam Schindler back with more in our year-end podcast wrap-up. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast.
What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hello, this is John DeAugustine, the publisher at the Daily Gazette. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. We're going to talk some college basketball uh, that uh, took place in the Capital Region with uh, Michael Kelly. And uh, I think really the big news of the uh, year was the situation involving uh, Albany head coach Dwayne Killings in his first year, a little confrontation with the player, which uh, resulted in a suspension, a lawsuit, and a lot of other stuff. Yeah, it was certainly, uh, I mean, something that, you know, came to, you know, the forefront after this past college basketball season and then kind of lingered for, you know, really up to, up through now. So, I mean, a story that's gone on for seven or eight months after something that happened in November of 2021, um, you know, with uh, some type of incident in a in a locker room uh, before a game, November 2021, um, that you know, uh, U Albany and its coach <laughs> have acknowledged that something happened. There's now a lawsuit. Um, you know, and so this is a story that will extend well into 2023. Um, really brought down kind of a lot of the mood <laughs> around the first season of this new head coach where, you know, I think after that year, even though they had a losing record during Dwayne Killings' first season, I think there was some optimism. There was excitement. There was a new arena that's getting built. Um, and now there is, you know, to some degree, you know, a cloud that has hung over the program and, you know, seems like it'll continue to be there for you know, who knows how long. Is he in trouble? I mean, he's only a second year. I mean, does he have to win to avoid any you know, possible firing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question because you Albany did not fire uh, Dwayne Killings, you know, when this came to light. So I don't know to what degree the lawsuit that is out there changes that calculus, you know, if at all. Um, he did have a five-year contract when he got signed. So after this season, he has three more seasons on that, that theoretically, if you Albany wanted to move on, um, there would have to be some money. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that. that's the thing. I mean, do you, do you want to end up, you know, buying out a coach and then, you know, having to hire a new coach and, you know, pay him as well? Uh, sure. And, you know, and I'm sure that there's different, um, you know, there's different avenues you could explore. I would imagine, though, if you wanted to have a, a really strong case in terms of moving on from somebody for cause, you would have done that maneuver, uh, you know, this past April, May, when things came to light, that didn't happen. So I, I would imagine that that makes that more difficult. Um, I also, you know, I, you Albany to this point really hasn't given an, an, an indication, sorry, that that's the avenue that they want to take. Um, but I think, I think something you brought up is really important is this program needs to start to win. 
um, one way or another, regardless of kind of the the off the court stuff that's out there. Um, you know, they had it's a program that had three consecutive losing seasons. That was enough to get rid of Will Brown, who'd been there for two decades. Um, it's a team that right now looks very much like they're on their way to their second consecutive losing season with the new coach. So five overall, um, you know, in this season, uh, you know, unless they have an amazing league season, it's not just going to be a losing season. It's going to be, you know, can this team win 10 division one games this year? We'll see. Um, you know, so it'll been, it'll been a half decade of losing basketball, um, you know, for what is still really UAlbany's premier. I mean, they, they obviously care a lot about football. Um, lacrosse had their amazing run. You know, I think basketball at that school is still considered by many to be kind of the flagship sport. Um, and it's been a half decade now, or it'll be a half decade of not really being relevant. Um, and that can't sit well. And, of course, I mean, the distraction of having to play their home games away uh, at Hudson Valley for this season because of the uh, uh, you know, what's going on with the refurbishing uh, of the uh, Seth Q Arena. I mean, has that been a distraction for, for uh, the men's team? I'm sure that that's been, you know, I don't know if distract, I mean, it, it's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't help. Um, you know, if you want to have that, that new nice arena, though, this is probably, you know, this is the price that you had to pay at some point. You're not going to build that in an off season. Um, you know, if anything, you know, if, if there wasn't the, the other off the court stuff <laughs> that was going on, I think you could really, it, it almost works out well. You know, they're not very good this year and they're playing at this spot where, you know, I don't think attendance is going to be amazing that it's kind of a lost year. Um, you know, in a couple different ways, at least to this point that, you know, the fact that people can't, you know, aren't going to really show up to their games, you know, I don't know how much of a problem that, <laughs> that, that is. Um, but, you know, you would hope that they'd be in better shape going into next season when they do have this new arena and they want people to show up. So, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done, uh, both uh, figuratively and literally. Yeah. Um, let's go over to Seattle men's basketball. And I think you, you look back at their year last season, I think the highlight was beating Iona at home in front of a national TV audience. Uh, and people stormed the court after that win. Uh, they, you know, uh, some people on social media were not thrilled <laughs> that, that that happened. You know, really a transition year um, for Siena. And, you know, I don't know if that was totally clear when we were in January, February, March. Um, but when you look big picture, you know, last season, those last few months, uh, you know, so the first months of this calendar year, um, you know, it was uh, transfers, some freshmen would come in. They were figuring some stuff out. You know, this team that is playing right now this season, um, you know, I think they have a shot in the MAC. Um, you know, I would say that they're the, the number two team in that league at this moment. And, and a lot of what happened in January, February, March, and then that, that offseason, you know, set up this year where I think that they are back at least pretty close to where they were. Mm-hmm you know, two seasons ago when they, you know, really had designs on still contending for MAC titles. I don't think that was the case this past season. I think as you look forward, um, you know, they they believe that they can make it to that championship game. And, you know, it's it's 40 minutes in March. Yeah. I mean, they've had so far this season, they've, they've had some good wins. I mean, they've had decent, a good showing down in Florida over Thanksgiving, but they've had some frustrating losses. I mean, where where is this team right now? I think I think big picture they're right about where you'd want them to be. Um, maybe a little bit ahead because you know they shouldn't have beaten 
Seton Hall. <laughs> they shouldn't have beaten Florida State. They should have beat Army. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, their record is probably one win ahead of when you looked before the year of where, you know, you would want it to be. Um, with the wins that they did get, you would want them to be one win ahead of where they currently are. Um, I think, you know, going into league play, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this before they dive in Friday, you know, fully yeah. into MAC play. They're 1-0 going into that from the Canisius win earlier in the season. I think you have to be pretty happy with where they're at if you're a Sienna fan. Um, you know, of course you could want more. Um, you know, but they, they've put themselves in position through this non-conference, um, you know, to, to, to be in great shape. I think they feel good about themselves. They know who they are. They've tried out some different things. Um, you know, this is the most prepared they are heading into league play, you know, probably since, you know, Carmen Massarello's first season, um, which was really the, you know, besides last year, that would be the only time he had a full, you know, a full real season. Uh, you know, I think that they are in a similar spot to then, not as talented um, as that crew, but, you know, similar in terms of maybe the success they can have moving forward. Will this team be playing the final game of the MAC championship uh, down? It's still in Atlantic City, right? <laughs> still in Atlantic City. <laughs> Got to get my White Horse sub, uh, sub, White House sub down there. <laughs> um, I think, that, I mean, they have um, they have as good a shot as anybody to be in that MAC championship game. I think this year, especially with the way the season has played out, you know, and assuming that there isn't, you know, you know, horrible injuries that come up in January, February, you know, if this team is whole going into March or, you know, pretty close to it, everybody's going to have, you know, injuries and, and bumps along the way. Um, I think that this team, this program of what they've done so far, I think it would be disappointing if they don't make it to that final um, for that, I mean, they at least have to make it to a semi. You can't go out, um, you know, in the first or second round. They have to make it to a semi. They should make it to a final. You can't be mad if they lose that final to Iona. Yeah. Uh, you know, if everybody thinks Iona's great, you can't be mad if Sienna <laughs> loses to them there. But I think that they, I think they will be disappointed. They will be disappointed, and I think it would be fair to be disappointed if they don't make it to that final. Well, one thing we did see uh, this season was the return of the Albany Cup for the men's side. Uh, the exciting game was played down at MVP Arena. That's Sienna won. I mean, how happy is everybody to have that tournament back? I mean, it never should have been gone in the first place. Never should have been gone. Um, they better keep their act together that it doesn't go away again. There's, you know, a couple more uh, years on the current deal. Um, you know, I think the big thing from that night was just people, uh, it, it was a festive atmosphere for a November mid-major college basketball game in Albany. Um, the only way that you can really do that, uh, cause you're, you know, you're not going to get Syracuse to come to Albany to play, you know, a true road game. It's just not going to happen. Um, the only way you can do it is to have those two teams play. Uh, the fans showed up, um, you know, and the thing that really, uh, like of my memory of the game, the thing that sticks out is is one of our colleagues was there, uh, Andrew Waite, just to just to go watch the game. He's a, he's our news columnist, um, and I talked to him at halftime, and he was uh, he was confused. He was like, "Why haven't these teams played? Like this should happen every year. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, uh, you know." And I think you know, especially for you know people who are not you know maybe a diehard fan of one program or the other, that's that's the game that you care about if you just like basketball in the area. Um, so it was great to have it back. Um, it's also always worth noting that the women's programs could always figure out how to play the game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no problem there, regardless of who was coaching the teams, they were able to figure it out constantly. 
Um, but it was good to have it back on the men's side. Yep. Well, I think the team of the year in area college basketball had to be the Albany women uh, with winning the American East title and getting to play in the NCAA tournament, which is uh, they had to win on the you know, American East title at Maine. So, I mean, that was a, a big accomplishment. Yeah, back on top. Um, you know, head coach Colleen Mullen showed up with a multi-year plan and, you know, and, and executed it. Um, you know, a really fun, gritty team, a, a defensive-minded team um, that, you know, then brought everybody back for this season. It has dealt with injuries along the way, but, you know, they're going into conference play now, you know, back as healthy as you could hope to be in, in great shape to make another run this upcoming year. Um, but that was really great, you know, just that they were, you know, obviously that program had done so well, but, you know, for a sustained period of time, um, and then, you know, had a couple quick coaching changes because of that success. Um, you know, when you go back to the bottom, you have to rebuild it. Um, and they were able to do that and kind of get to, uh, you know, the America East mountaintop, yeah. uh, this, this past, uh, this past late winter, early spring, uh, to have a memorable, uh, 2022. And we should also mention Sienna. I mean, I think they had a good run in the middle of the last season. Where are they at as far as their programs? They have never really gotten to be a consistently good program. Yeah, I mean, I think that they are in – I mean, they're in much better shape at this point in the year than they were a year ago. Um, obviously, you know, last season, lose their first 10 games and then play 500 ball the rest of the way. Um, this season, um, you know, they had, they had a, a disappointing, uh, you know, hiccup, uh, in Mac play to, to get going kind of the other day. Um, but they had a nice non-conference season with a team that's, you know, it's one freshman after another, um, you know, the sophomores count as the team's veterans, <laughs> um, that, you know, I think the future's bright for them. Um, I think, you know, you know, just, we talked about Sienna men and, and those expectations, what those should be, I think for the Sienna women, um, you know, finishing in the top five, top six would be a great accomplishment. Um, getting to a max semifinal would be a great accomplishment and, you know, and a real sign of progress. Um, it would be disappointing if this team goes backwards, you know, January, February, from what we saw from them, November, December. Um, they would need uh, a ton of luck and a ton of great things to happen <laughs> to, you know, to have, a, you know, to have a March run, uh, you know, to, to, to the, the national tournament. You know, that's not expected. Falling short of that isn't a failure. Um, but it would be great to see them make it to a semifinal um, and to do it confidently, not with, you know, needing an upset or two. Yeah. Well, Michael, appreciate your expertise on college basketball and uh, have a great 2023. It's always fun to stop by. Have yeah. me on again. It's been a yeah, while. I, know. I yes. don't know. I don't know what I did during my last <laughs> visit where you no longer wanted to have me on. Um, so I look forward in 2023 to making at least, uh, I'll say at least three appearances on, on the Parting Shots podcast, uh, the, the voice of the Daily Gazette. <laughs> All right, we'll do that. We'll make sure that happens. That's Michael Kelly. Coming up, Will Springstead looks back at the college lacrosse season, and in particular, uh, Union College's runs in the national championship game in Division Three. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. 
and school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Ted Remsnyder. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast, and we'll uh, spring that joins us now to talk about the uh, year in college across and it's highlighted by Union getting to the national championship game against rival RIT, but uh, did not come up with the title. Didn't come up with the title, put up a great effort, and uh, the team was led by a number of seniors, uh, guys coming back uh, for uh, for the COVID years, and uh, and did a wonderful job. What did it mean, you think, to the uh, program to get to that national championship, uh, championship game? I think it's the kind of year that could change a program for a future. Um, once you've been in a championship game, the reputation comes on your shoulders, uh, like it or not. And I think uh, in talking with Derek Witherford um, for a year-in-review story that we're going to do on them, he welcomes that. And uh, this this could be a very big moment for the program. Yeah. Um, it's it's Getting past RIT is going to be the key somewhere down the road. I mean, they can't get past them in the Liberty League. It, it would have been interesting to see them get, do it in the championship, championship game, but... What is it going to take for them to get past RIT? I don't know. Every time it's been a little bit different when they have lost by one or two. And at the championship game, one of Derek's quotes was, when that came up, one of his answers was, well, I think we do it better than anyone else. And he is correct. When you look at the some of the wonderful programs that RIT has beaten, they've beaten them quite convincingly, and they can barely get by Union. But... They always get by Union, as, yeah. the, as the Yankees used to say with the Red Sox. It's not a rivalry if we keep winning until the Red Sox finally turn that around. Yeah. I think they're just going to have to study a little harder and come up with it on the right day. So like the hammer and nail issue. RIT's a hammer and Union's a nail at this point. So, yeah, one of these days it's going to have to happen. Well, let's look around Division One uh, in Capital Region Cross. It wasn't really a, a spectacular year uh, for really the teams around here. It wasn't. Um, obviously, U Albany is uh, is kind of the highlight of that, and they had a subpar year uh, by anyone's standards. Um, I think one of the things that particularly hurt them, and Coach Scott Marr fell on his sword for this, was the Syracuse game. Ironically, they end up winning it in front of a super crowd, but then they have to drive down to Maryland and face. UMBC in a key matchup at the time, and they lose. Mm-hmm. And that really spiraled everything downhill, and they were never able to recover. Yeah. Yeah, looking at their I – mean, I'm going to look ahead briefly here, the fact that looking at their schedule, they open at Syracuse this season, but defending national champion Maryland is going to come to uh, Albany. So, I mean, that's that's going to be a, a well of a game. It should be. And, and uh, we saw last year, even with uh, Yale and Penn, some of the other high-quality Division One programs – UAlbany's got some work to do to, to hang with those guys, and uh, it'll be a good experience and everything, but I hope they learn from last year and that what what they are is it's a one-bid league, um, and they've got to focus on winning the America East. Well, speaking of Scott Moore, he's not going anywhere for a while. He's just got a contract extension through the 2026 season. What does that say What the, about the job he's done, and what you, why does uh, you know the extension? 
I, I think he's done a wonderful job. Obviously, last year, we said it wasn't up to anyone's standards, but um, when you consider that he's been the only coach they've known in their Division One time and the history he has, I'm not at all surprised uh, that he got that extension. And I think it says, we have faith in you, and we are giving you enough time with the four years to maybe get some guys in to get the program back up higher. Uh, I was speaking with a colleague earlier. I said, will it ever get to where it was in the Thompson days? Mm, maybe not. Uh, the parity's gotten a lot more widespread mm-hmm. now, but I think it can climb up, and this shows that kind of faith. What about Siena? I mean, what, 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 what the, the, their season was like in 2022? Their season was... Uh, Okay, but not great. And uh, they were led by a, a fantastic goalie. And uh, then their offense kind of never gave the support that the defense needed. Um, I have noticed uh, in their roster, they're getting a lot of seniors back, a lot, some, some fifth-year guys too. So we'll see this year. Um, but the first thing for Siena is they need an offense to consistently match the defense it had. What about the women's programs, both at Siena and UAlbany? The women's programs are very exciting. Um, and last year, if you recall, they came within close steps. Uh, U Albany made it to the Americas final, lost a game to Vermont that, frankly, they should have won, and they know it. Um, so they're right there for an NCAA bid. They're getting their leading scorers back, and they should be right up there with uh, Vermont again. Siena loses a big-time scorer in Colleen McNeely. They do have some back, but they'll need to rebuild. If I call, I mean, recall Stony Brook was in, like, dominate the American East and women's lacrosse, and they're not in it anymore. So what does that do for you all when chances of maybe finally, you know, winning a title? I, I think I think it will help. And as we recall last year, the only reason it was you all in Vermont was because America East had punished Stony Brook for not, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for leaving, and so they weren't there. Um, I think in looking at some of the names – Vermont's got a lot back. Uh, Albany needs to be concerned most with the, the team that beat them. Yeah. Well, well, appreciate it. And I look forward to your Goddles Lacrosse coverage in 2023. Thank you, Ken. All right. Uh, I'll be back with my thoughts on uh, what happened with Union Hockey, uh, especially in January. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in New York. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by NISFA and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and college football on ESPN Radio. I grew up in Gilderland. I'm a proud member of the 518, and I go back over 30 years with Ken Schott. And when I'm not listening to his Schottsky Radio, I'm listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Here's Ken. 
Welcome back to the podcast, and now it's my turn to talk about uh, the big story on my beat, uh, the Roman College Hockey, and uh, yeah, I was uh, reassigned to the beat uh, before the start of the 2021-22 season after the uh, you know, first 25 years covering the team, watching the team grow from you know struggling program, trying to get talented players to winning a national championship in 2014. Uh, so I came back to cover a program that was sort of, you know, yeah, coming back off the COVID year, which they missed in 2020, 2021. Uh, so you looked at that team and really the talent wasn't, wasn't there much. So, uh, it was going to be interesting ride to see what this team would, uh, would be under head coach Rick Bennett. And then, uh, January, the night of January 20th, uh, I'm sitting in the office and, putting the paper out and then the press release comes from union saying that uh, Rick Bennett was placed on uh, paid administrative leave uh, after the college received an email with an allegation against him. Uh, and they did an investigation about his coaching style. And then uh, on January 28th at 2 PM, the union and college athletic department sent out a press release saying Rick Bennett had resigned. And it was a stunning end to uh, a remarkable career at Union, where Rick Bennett came aboard as an assistant under Nate Lehman, uh, became associate head coach uh, then for Lehman. And uh, when uh, Lehman left for Providence after the 2010-11 season, Bennett took over as head coach, and he was the head coach for 11 seasons. And as I mentioned, uh, winning the national championship in 2014. He also got to the Frozen Four in, in 2012. They had a great stretch there uh, in the early two, 2010s, where they were you know head of the top team in the league and. Uh, and it was really gangbuster. Everything sort of, you know, went slowly slid downhill after winning the national championship. And you wonder what what happened with the program. And uh, I mean, I don't, you don't want to blame Rick Bennett, but I just the whole, the whole thing how Rick Bennett's time ended at Union was just so stunning and probably not deserved. He should have been able to go out on his own terms. Unfortunately, he was not under the situation. Um, yeah, there's a lot of speculation as to what led to this uh, incident. Whoever emailed uh, the athletic department, uh, we'll never know. I mean, I have an idea, but I'm not going to you know come out and speculate uh, because I could be wrong. Uh, but Bennett just did, did a great job. Got the program. You know, he, he took what Nate Lehman had done in getting this program to respectability and to being a, a national contender, and he took them. Uh, to that national championship in 2014, beating Minnesota uh, 7-4 to in the night that Shane Gossesbear will never forget the night he had a, a plus-7 rating, and uh, it was just an incredible night, and capping what seemingly seemed like it, it a thing that would never happen, Union winning a national championship because you know, no scholarships. Uh, they it, it was tough, and we'll talk about the scholarship situation in just a moment, but uh, yeah, it's a shame. And then talking with uh, Rick... Yeah, uh, he, he felt he probably should have resigned um, before the start of the 21-22 uh, season because, yeah, he lost that year. And maybe he was just thought it, was, it should have been time to, to walk away from, from that back then. But uh, he decided to stay on. And uh, it's, it's a shame. I, like I said, I feel bad for Rick. I, I mean, he was very good to me in my time covering the team. He was honest, brutally honest. And. As a reporter, you appreciate that. You don't want uh, somebody giving you all the cliches and you know, this and that and all that stuff. Uh, uh, so it was, yeah, like I said, I was, I was it's sad to see him. You know, Rick has landed on his feet. He's coaching uh, the Savannah Ghost Pirates in the uh, ECHL. 
so yeah, it's only, we're coming up almost to the one year anniversary of this, um, you know, Bennett situation. So, uh, as for what happened after that, uh, John Ronan, the assistant coach, was first named the acting head coach as Bennett was placed on the administrative leave. And then following the resignation, uh, Ronan became interim head coach. He settled things down. The team played well. Uh, they swept Princeton in the first round of the ECAC hockey tournament and took Clarkson to uh, overtime uh, in the two games up at Potsdam in the quarterfinals. Unfortunately for the Dutchman, they lost both of those games. And then the coaching search began, and you know, obviously Ronan was going to be a key figure in that. Was he going to be uh, given the job permanently, or was the union going to go outside um, the program to find somebody else? And it turns out on Good Friday in April that Josh Halgie, who had been an assistant and associate head coach at Clarkson for uh, seven seasons under uh, Casey Jones, was named the new coach of the Dutchman. And, of course, there was speculation there what was going to happen to John Roden uh, but Ronan decided to stay on with uh, Josh Halgie. And so far, I mean, Josh Halgie, uh, given the talent that was left, I mean, there's a, also, you know, the union lost a lot of players in the transfer portal, including uh, a guy like Colin Graff, who's been gangbusters for Quinnipiac since arriving there. Uh, he's, you know, so far, I mean, it's been an up and down tenure so far in the first season for Halgie. Uh, they've had some good wins. They've looked bad in losses. I mean, the recent the Quinnipiac loss be- coming before the Christmas break, uh, 8-1. Uh, shellacking down in Hamden, Connecticut. There have been uh, other games where they lost by f- more than four goals. The Harvard 5-1 loss at home in November before the start of exams and a pair of uh, uh, goal games against UMass where they lost 7-1 and 7 nothing back in October and it didn't look good in that. But I think, yeah, Josh Hodges getting his program. He's got, you know, working and recruiting. And he's one thing he's going to have that, you know, Rick Bennett didn't have, that Nate Lehman didn't have, that Kevin Stedden did, did not have, Stan Moore and Bruce Delmuth, all those former union uh, head coaches, they'll be getting they'll be able to award athletic scholarships. That was approved back in January. It was a bit busy January for uh, union hockey. So programs like RIT and union uh, hockey, Hobart, uh, lacrosse, uh, you know, programs that have Division One uh, programs that play as a Division Three institution, uh, they were not allowed to you know, award athletic scholarships, And but uh, the vote came up and uh, RIT and union lobbied for it and they got the job done. And, uh, it's, you know, the union is going to slowly implement athletic scholarships over the next uh, uh, three years before they, they'll probably get the full 18 within four years. And this is going to be a, a game changer for the Dutchman. Um, and it's, it's a good thing because, yeah, that way they're going to get more talented players here. They can uh, compete. You know, they've really fallen behind uh, the last few years. But I think this really will help the Dutchman get back on track. One other thing with the union hockey program uh, uh, in the spring uh, they uh, got uh, secured funding from the state to, uh, you know, f- towards the building a new hockey rink near the uh, Rivers Casino. They still have to get more funding for that, but I think down the road we're going to see some, uh, some news that the union's got the funding in place, and uh, hopefully they'll put some shovels in the ground and start uh, building a new arena for the Dutchmen and Dutch women. And speaking of the Dutch women, uh, yeah, you have a chance to set a record coming on Monday, and they play St. Michael's. This program, since being a, uh, going to Division One in 2003-2004, has never won 10 games in a season. They have a chance to do that Monday afternoon when they play St. Michael's. And I think the job of Josh Halsey is uh, – Josh Sieb, I guess. I think he's going to do that one of these days. What Josh Sieb has done uh, this season, uh, and, and he's got some talented players there. And it's an exciting team. They're, you know, they're, they have a lot more talent than I, I think they've ever had 
in the years I've been following this program. And I, th- yeah, I, I do think they'll make the uh, ECAC tournament. Of course, this will be the final year uh, for the women having just eight teams in the tournament. The next year, they'll have all 12 teams go. But I'd like to see Union earn its way in before uh, they go to all 12 teams. And while I was speaking of all 12 teams, of course, uh, a big format change for the ECAC hockey tournament uh, coming up this season in the men's division. Uh, the first round will now just be a one-game uh, sudden-death uh, playoff to get to the quarterfinals, no longer a best of three. And uh, in talking to some of the coaches about this, they're not happy about this. Uh, and I think this is going to backfire. I think what's gonna, you're gonna, you may just see a you know, number 12 team and number 11 team pull off an upset. And I, I don't think you want that. I think you want to earn your way. One game's not earning your way into the quarterfinals. I mean, it, it, it's kind of weird to see this uh, uh, format where you, you have one game uh, first round, then you have a best of three quarterfinals, then you go to the uh, elimination, single elimination for the semifinals and championship. It's just a... It's, it's it's a weird format. I I I just is seeing potential problems for this, and then finally, Steve Hagwell has uh, announced uh, last week about he's going to step down as ECAC hockey commissioner. Uh, has been with the league for a long time, first as associate commissioner, and then and taking over when uh, the twelve ECAC hockey teams broke away from the uh, ECAC uh, uh, run run of that, and they formed their own conference. Uh, Hagwell's done an outstanding job. I mean, he's got the tournament back to Lake Placid after uh, three uninspiring years in Atlantic City in the early 2010s. Um, so, and the league's in a good spot, right? I mean, they, they, I mean, the women's you have women's they have some great women's teams in this, in this league. Colgate, uh, Clarkson, Cornell, yeah, Clarkson won three national championships. Uh, of course, Union and Yale won national championships with Hagwell. As commissioner, not crediting Hagwell for uh, uh, winning those type of titles, but uh, yeah, the league was the conference was a joke around around the nation. I mean, you know, ECA hockey was not really thought of, but uh, yeah, once Yale won a championship, then followed by Union, and all of a sudden there was no longer that ease. Uh, what some people call EZ AC hockey because it was just so boring. But now. Um, you know, you got Quinnipiac rolling along, been a consistent program, still looking to win a national championship. It's Quinnipiac's been to the uh, national championship game twice, including that loss to Yale in 2013. Uh, Cornell has been, you know, one of the top programs in a while. Harvard's really emerged now in the last few years. So, uh, this league is good, is in good shape, and it's you're gonna have to, it's gonna be tough to replace Hagwell. I mean, there's some issues down the road with college hockey realignment, could be a possibility down the road, and uh. I think you're going to want to have someone who knows college hockey uh, that you want in place once uh, Hagwell steps down as uh, ECC hockey commissioner following uh, this season. So that's my thoughts on uh, Union Hockey, and uh, we'll um, wrap things up with the podcast with the uh, latest winners in the Daily Gazette's Youth Pickup Football Contest in just a moment. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast. There are no words to describe it. The isolation. The boredom. The loneliness. If you're wondering where your teenage son or daughter's spirit went, you're hardly alone. The past year has been devastating, especially for them. But here's the good news. They might just find it again, playing high school sports. Workouts that stimulate 
teammates and coaches that care, the sense of belonging so many of us have been missing lately. That's what school sports are all about. The sense of achievement is real, and the camaraderie is hard to beat. Coping with uncertainty is difficult, but school sports can help the teenagers in your family start feeling like themselves again. Encourage them to give it a try. High school sports, it's so much more than a game. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is RPI Men's Hockey Head Coach Dave Smith. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 16 winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football Contest was Randy Hayner of Schenectady. Randy won the $100 Hannaford gift card. Congratulations, Randy. The VIP winners were Jim DeMarco of Terry Morris Ford and me. I went 11-5 to improve to 152-86-2. I am two games behind you pick em leader Andrew Krauts of Glenville Beverage. My Gazette colleague Adam Schinder went 10-6. He is 144-94-2. I'll announce the winner of the you pick em football contest, and that winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette. To play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click on the You Pick em Football banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on how COVID-19 is affecting us in the capital region. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this situation. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank my Gazette colleagues, Mike McAdam, Adam Schinder, Michael Kelly, and Will Springstead for coming on the show. I'll have a Union Hockey podcast Friday and Saturday after Dutchman's games against New Hampshire. Hope you get a chance to listen. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Shot. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, and happy new year.